0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Father, we want to ask you tonight, as our Heavenly Father, for you to show your love to us, for you to speak uh, through the passage that we've had read to us, for you to work in our lives to change us, for you to meet us in our time of need. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do sit down as you uh, sit down. If you could please be turning uh, back to Matthew chapter 7, page 971. Um, There's a a handout amongst the papers you were given on the way in uh, that you can use to follow along with or make notes on if you would like. I've been living at the edge of the abyss for several years now. Yes, I have had close times with God, and these memories are what keep me from checking out. But I get nothing else. No new sign that God is listening. I'd guess maybe only 20% of my prayers get anything like the answer I want. Over time, I give up. I pray for those things I believe will happen anyway. Or I just don't pray. I review my journal and see God doing less and less. I get mad. Like a child, I stop talking. I went to a mentor and poured out my soul. What do I do, I asked. He sat there for the longest time and said, I don't know, Joanne. I waited for words of wisdom. None came. And that's how it is with prayer too. Now, Joanne's story is uh, one of many uh, stories in this very good book on prayer by uh, Paul Miller called uh, Praying Life. Uh, but I guess we don't really need to turn to a book uh, to find examples just like that one. I was hearing just last week about someone who'd been asking God for a certain thing for years and years and years, uh, but hadn't got it. And now they were saying, well, what's the point? What's the point? And most of us, I guess, if not all of us, will know precisely uh, how Joanne was uh, feeling uh, from our own experience. We all go through seasons of uh, when our relationship with God doesn't feel well, very real. And those times of discouragement can, if they're left unchecked, grow into an attitude of cynicism. That's the direction it's heading anyway. Uh, We stop believing that God is active in the world. Or even if he is active and powerful, we stop believing that he cares. And that attitude can be very dangerous, uh, not just for ourselves, but uh, for the rest of the church family Around us, because of course uh, that kind of cynicism is infectious. Uh, at its worst, we can start uh, completely subver- subverting the purpose of church. Instead of coming to church like this with a gospel encouragement, we come instead with a chip on our shoulders, with a critical heart, and with a list of complaints. Uh, now, if you have come tonight uh, disappointed, or feeling almost cynical about your walk with God, I think it could go one of two ways. It could go one of two ways. Either either you're going to have your cynicism reinforced by what Jesus says in this passage. Uh, That is possible. We will come to that. Or or you'll begin to see the wider context in which these extraordinary promises about prayer and relationship with with God our Father, Father The the, the amazing context that those make sense and wonderful sense. And to see that tonight, uh, once again, it's essential that we listen to what uh, Jesus says. of what we've been calling Matthew 28 disciples. That is what we're doing week by week in these sermons is imagining that we're reading all of the way through to the end of Matthew's gospel. To the point where Jesus sends his disciples out into the nations to make further disciples. Because it's at that point, you see, that the disciples have been fully humbled and served by Jesus themselves for the forgiveness of their sins. And it's at that point that they've been brought into his family. And now that you can fully and properly call him Father, they're part of his missionary family. It's at that point that the disciples will realize just how important it is to protect and nurture their precious relationship with their Father in heaven. And that's going to bring these chapters to mind, these chapters in particular that we're looking at at the moment, because that's precisely what Jesus has been teaching about. And tonight we're going to see the climax of that teaching about maintaining and nurturing our relationship with our Heavenly Father. How should we summarize it? Well, you can see from verses 6 and 7 in our passage tonight that there's a, something of a, a play on words here. Jesus says this, don't give good things away. That's verse 6. Rather, ask and trust your Father to give good things to you. That's verse 7. In short, uh, the, purpose, the purpose of this particular passage is uh, that we should not give it all away, but ask for it, ask to be given instead. And we're just going to look uh, at the two parts of that in order, beginning with verse 6. Don't give it all away. Don't give this precious thing you have through your Father. Don't give it away. Let's take a look at uh, verse 6 with me, uh, which reads uh, like this. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs lest, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I think at this point, it's only honest to say that Christians over the centuries have actually quite struggled with this verse to make sense of it. Well let me say, uh, first of all, I'm fairly sure that uh, what Jesus isn't speaking about here. Jesus is often taken here to be saying something like this, that scriptural truth, or, or maybe the message of the gospel, or the message of the kingdom. Uh, that's the, the pearls and the illustration. Those things should not be put in front of people who do not appreciate their value. That's the way this verse is often taken. And in popular usage, that's roughly how we use that expression, pearls before swine, isn't it? That's sort of come into into our language through this verse. But I'm very puzzled by that, because I can't really see how that explanation fits in this particular context. It doesn't seem to me that Jesus has flagged out the whole subject area of talking to others he hasn't flagged that up sufficiently clear clearly for us to take it that way in fact he hasn't yet taught his disciples anything about proclaiming the kingdom in word using words uh, that comes later in the gospel it comes in chapter 10 uh, in the teaching that he gives there so what i'm wondering is that if it makes much more sense instead of uh, trying to take this verse with the verses that precede it to to take it with the verses that follow. And uh, my suggestion is that we should understand what Jesus says like this. Do not throw away what you have through your precious relationship with your Father, leaving yourself at the mercy of a hostile world. Don't throw, throw away what you have through your precious relationship with your Father, because, after all, what is the thing that's as precious as a pearl in the Sermon on the Mount? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? And is it not actually quite clear when we stop to think about it? We've been seeing it over and over again, especially over these last few weeks. The precious thing in the Sermon on the Mount is the everlasting relationship we can have with our Father in heaven. It's His reward, His approval, which we should value above all things. we've seen at the beginning of the sermon the beatitudes that uh, being under his love under his approval means being able to take hold of the promises the promises of the kingdom of heaven indeed later on in the gospel in matthew chapter 13 jesus is going to say this he's going to say the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value he went away and sold everything he had and bought it What's more, abandon the promises of the kingdom, abandon that relationship. Not only will you lose something of great value, you'll also find yourself at the mercy of the enemies of God, here represented by the the dogs and the pigs, uh, as, as in the book of Proverbs. They, of course, will not value what you have. They will not value the kingdom, and they will be hostile to you, warns Jesus. It's very much as he said at the beginning of the sermon, uh, you might remember that he warned that uh, salt that loses its saltiness is fit only to be trampled upon. It's the same word that he uses here. In other words, I think it's actually reasonably clear that as we reach the end end of the sermon, as we come towards the end of the sermon, the wisdom is straightforward from Jesus. For goodness' sake, he's saying, don't, underval- don't undervalue what you have as a favoured child in God's family. Don't abandon that. Don't throw it away. Back in uh, 2009, the BBC reported that a Tel Aviv woman had bought her mother a new mattress. Hardly worthy of the international news, you might think. Uh, The woman had bought the mattress for her mother as a surprise and threw the old one away. The problem was that the old mattress was stuffed with no less than one million US dollar notes. When the woman realized her mistake, she rushed out to retrieve the mattress, but it had already been taken away. She hurried to the local dump, only to find the mattress had been shipped to one of the larger landfill sites, along with another 3,000 tons of rubbish collected that day to be trampled, crushed, and destroyed. I imagine things were slightly tense at the dinner table that night. This verse does speak very powerfully, doesn't it, to those of us who are here tonight discouraged in our Christian lives, perhaps even cynical. And if you're here tonight... Thinking along those lines, you know, what is the point of all this? Well, listen to Jesus now. Your relationship with your Father in heaven is much more valuable than a mattress full of money. And obviously so. It's a pearl. It's the the, the most valuable thing you could possibly imagine. Don't be so foolish as to throw it all away. Don't fail to see how valuable it is. Don't underestimate the supreme value of being aligned with God's kingdom purposes. And don't, on the other hand, underestimate the danger of abandoning all that, leaving yourself at the mercy of a hostile world. And what I'm suggesting here is that that verse is... That warning is very strongly connected with the verses which follow. So ignore that break, that gap that we've got in our Bible. So It's not part of the original. These two things are connected together. Don't give away, verse 6, but verse 7, ask to be given. Don't give away, ask to be given. This is our second heading this evening. Don't give it all away, but boldly ask to be given. Why should we do that? Well, first of all, because of the promises we have here. Look at uh, verses 7 and 8 with me. This is what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. It's an extraordinary promise. It's a great promise. But is it true? That's the issue, is it not? I I know for myself, some things I ask for in prayer, I don't get. How do these promises square with all those unanswered prayers? And the more cynical we get, the more likely we are to respond to that promise everyone who receives. The more likely we are to respond with, but no, they don't. Now I'm going to say a little bit more about unanswered prayer when we look at verses 9 to 11 in a moment. But the first thing to get straight here is the the scope of these promises. Is Jesus really saying, ask for anything and you will get it? Is Is that what he's saying here? Well, not only would that be an extremely odd thing to promise, making us as as powerful as God himself, effectively, uh, that would also be ripping these verses out of their context in Matthew's Gospel. We've got to remember that these promises stand towards the end of a very substantial body of teaching from Jesus where he has taught us at length about what we should ask for, about what we should seek, and about what we should want to enter. So what are we told to ask for in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, we can begin, I think, most obviously, with the Lord's Prayer back in chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through to 13. Just look over the page at those with me again. We're told to ask our Father to be honoured universally. uh, Verse 9 there. For his kingdom to come in all its fullness. In the meantime, we're told to ask for what we need Day by day, to keep going for our daily bread, for survival, for forgiveness, for protection from temptations, for deliverance in in the battle with the evil one. And here in in chapter 7, Jesus is saying this He's saying, Ask, ask for those things, and they will be given. All those things. Uh, Likewise, what are we told to seek? What are we told to seek for in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, that's. Relatively straightforward, too. We looked at this a a few weeks ago. Chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus is saying, chapter 7, verse 7 again. Seek, seek those things and you will find. What should we want to enter, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, that should be reasonably clear by this stage, too. We should want to enter the future kingdom of the heavens. Now, does that depend on our performance on the way there or on our relationship with our Father? Well, you can see here very, very clearly. It's marvellous. It's our relationship. It's by grace alone. Jesus is saying, verse 7, Knock, and the door to that kingdom will be open to you. It's also worth looking back at this point at what we're not promised to get if we ask in the Sermon on the Mount according to Jesus. So back in chapter 5, Jesus talked about the persecution we can expect. Our Father won't give us complete freedom from persecution. He told us about the exploitation we might expect. He won't give us complete freedom from exploitation. Throughout chapter 6, he's told us about the, the evil and trouble that we can expect. He won't give us complete freedom from evil and trouble. We ask for those things. We won't get them, not completely anyway. We can ask for those things to be removed in specific circumstances. But we shouldn't expect, we cannot expect that they will be always removed. In other words, the more we're captivated by the great thing that our our Father has drawn us into through Jesus, the more we shall see and experience these promises being realized. Uh, And prayer is indeed one of the ways our Father uses to bring our wills, our desires, Uh, more and more in line with his so that we want what he wants such that we seek what he wants us to seek so that uh, we persevere and enter the kingdom of heaven. And I do think that uh, keeping a record of our prayers uh, may be one uh, practical way to help us to learn uh, to do this uh, you may do that already, you may not. I've uh, been greatly helped by Paul Miller's book on this. And I've taken up one of his suggestions, which is to keep a, a set of prayer cards, rather like this one. Uh, the idea is that it's one card for, for each person or, or topic that I'm praying for. And part of the idea is to record on those cards prayer requests, the dates, and the answers. And I do think this is, this, this is gradually helping me to learn to pray. And as I look back on what I've asked for and I look at the answers and I meditate on what God teaches me about God's plans and purpose in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere, slowly, painfully slowly, that's teaching me how to pray. But I also don't want to uh, leave you with the impression tonight that that's all there is to prayer. All there is to prayer is about getting more closely aligned with God's purposes, uh, good though that is. Prayer is also a, a wonderfully dynamic thing. It's, it's a relational thing. It's a, a personal thing a powerful thing. It does things. And if we haven't grasped that yet, these next verses should help us. Why should we boldly ask in prayer to be given Well, secondly, because our Father loves us. Now look at verses 9 through to 11 with me. Which of you, says Jesus, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying to us, you, you know how to give good gifts. You know how to good gift, good, good, give, good, give good gifts to your children. You may not do it very often, but you kind of know what it means. And you certainly know it doesn't mean giving them harmful things. Now, one of the things I've sometimes done as a father for my children is to uh, get their school lunches uh, ready uh, each morning. Not, not so much uh, recently, I have to admit, uh, but just supposed to remember that I were to get back into that. And um, I wonder so here's um, my son's uh, lunchbox for tomorrow morning. And I wonder what you would think of me if uh, instead of uh, a bread roll, I gave my son Samuel a rock. Perhaps a rock that looks a little bit like a bread roll. <laughs> <laughs> I chuckle to myself. That'll teach him. Break his teeth. Now uh, he hasn't yet asked for a fish for lunch, although so he just quite like fish. Sometimes he asks for tuna mene sandwiches, which I guess is close. But instead of a tuna tuna, I slip in a little snake. a really poisonous one. <laughs> that's gonna be That's gonna be a nice surprise, isn't it, when he puts his hand in tomorrow? Of course, uh, even I wouldn't dream of doing that to my son, really, (laughs) uh, whom I love very much. And Jesus says to me, and you're evil. It's very striking, isn't it, in that verse. It's not flattering, but it is accurate. You know, I'm like the disciples at Jesus' feet as he says this, verse 11, evil in all sorts of ways and desperately, constantly in need of God's forgiveness. But if I more or less know what it is to give good gifts to my children, how much more, how much more will my Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And grasping this, I think, believing this, has got to be one of the most important keys to understanding prayer and understanding in amongst that unanswered prayer. Our Father wants to give us good things. We were hearing... um, Last week, our Father knows what we need, knows what we need. But our Father also wants to give us good things. Uh, sometimes we can see that. Sometimes we, we look, on, look back on prayers that we have asked and um, perhaps they haven't been answered. And we can look back and we can be grateful sometimes that they weren't answered. We can see that our Father knew better In those circumstances, our Father wants to give us good things. Sometimes we can see that, sometimes we can look back and see that although it was very hard, really hard, that a prayer wasn't answered, bitterly hard even, we can nonetheless see a glimmer of some of the good that came from that hardship and suffering. So, Paul Miller, for example, in his book, writes about a 25 year period of unanswered prayer, asking that his severely autistic daughter might speak. eventually she did, which was marvelous. But looking back, he can look back on that 25-year period and see some very good things that God was working through that in his heart and in the family. Our Father wants to give us good things. Sometimes we can see that, but, of course, sometimes not. Sometimes it seems so obvious to us what the good thing would be. There are some prayers, many prayers even, where we can't imagine any reason why they shouldn't be answered. Those are the the really difficult cases, aren't they? John Piper tells the story of how he was once looking after his two year grandchild, I I think. And uh, at one point, his grandchild asked for a certain kind of, of cookie. And John Piper went to the store cupboard, he found the packet, it was the right packet but the cookies inside were all covered in a kind of thick green mould. Now, what to do in that situation? Think about it. What would you do? He could, of course, have gone for the quiet life and brushed off the mould as best he could and given his grandchild what he wanted. I think I might have done that. (laughs) But, of course, that would not have been the loving thing to do. That would have not been the loving thing to do. And John Piper found himself saying to his grandchild, "I'm, I'm sorry, I can't give this to you. And of course, the child simply couldn't understand it. Couldn't understand it. How could it not be a good thing to give him the biscuit? It's there in your hand. You can give it to me. Why don't you? How can you say that you love me? Jesus is saying that your Father loves you in greater ways than you can contemplate. Our most cynical response when our prayers are unanswered is, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. But will we, we trust him, we will be humble before his sovereignty and trust, trust that he knows what's good. And as we trust him, will we allow ourselves to be caught up in what he's doing in the world. What is doing, the amazing thing that he's doing through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that then the love that he is showing to us can begin to start flowing out onto others. And this is what we're going to finish on this evening. And don't give up what you have from your Father, says Jesus, but ask to be given more by him. And then finally, verse twelve so that, so that you can give So that, that is, the love that we have been shown by our Father, we can start, we can begin to show to others. So, says Jesus, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And this is an amazing verse, because it also sums up much of what Jesus has been saying since uh, chapter 5, verse 17, in fact. Which was the last time that uh, Jesus mentioned the law and the prophets, uh, that verse, chapter 5, verse 17, and this verse here acts a bit like brackets around that, the central part of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And the rule that we've got here in this verse, chapter 7, verse 12, sometimes it's called, uh, sometimes called the golden rule to do to others what we would have them do to us, does indeed sum up much of what Jesus has been saying in the sermon, especially about being light in the world, as we saw back in uh, chapter 5. But just for now, I want to draw your attention to the, to the very first word in that verse. So, therefore. You might miss it, it's very small. It does seem that Jesus wants to, us to connect this verse with what he's just said. In fact, what he's just said about prayer. I want to leave you tonight amazed by that connection. You see, we might well read verse 12 and say, yes, 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 blah, blah, blah. Do to others what they would have, what you would have them do to you. I know that's what I should do. Most people in the world know that that's what we should do. But the question is, how? How are we to do that, given that we are, as Jesus has just told us, evil people? Is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount trying to get us to do this verse by just leaving us feel, feeling guilty and convicted and bad about ourselves and the, but trying a bit harder? No. In fact, it's one of the biggest no's in the whole Bible. No. No. In fact, the so at the beginning of that verse tells us how this should work. Doing verse 12 flows out from everything that Jesus has just been saying since the start of chapter 6 about maintaining and nurturing a close relationship with our Father in heaven, beginning and ending with prayer. How do we do this supremely good thing? Jesus says, just ask. And trust that your Father will give you every good thing you need to do that. It is astonishing when we stop to think about it. You may remember from chapter 5 that Jesus said that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets. As a very grand statement bringing about something in the world that had proved impossible before. Completing the wonderful story of God's grace and blessing in the world. Well, the message towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, summarized here in chapter 7, verse 12, is that we can be drawn into that story As we're humbled and served by Jesus, he draws us in to participate in what he is doing, taking the light of life and salvation out into the world, doing to others what we, now that we know what's truly good in Jesus, what we would have them do to us. And of course, like our Father with us, we don't just simply give them what they want. We give them what is truly good, as Jesus teaches us. And this is the key, isn't it? It's this bigger story, and I suspect that it's this bigger story. This is what Joanne needed to see. Remember, Joanne, I mentioned at the beginning, I quoted from uh, her testimony. She was deeply disappointed by her relationship with God, by her experience of prayer. But certainly as I reflect upon her story in the light of uh, Jesus' teaching here, it does seem to me that the basic problem was that her story had the wrong person at the center. It had the wrong person at the center. Her disappointment had her at the center. She was disappointed about her experience of the presence of God. That in prayer, she re- so rarely now got what she wanted, and that God didn't seem to know or care about her problems. And of course, it's not just Joanne who suffers from those kind of problems. Of course, it's not. It's me too in my times of disappointment and cynicism. But Jesus tonight is encouraging us to participate in a different story. It's a story not with Joanne at the centre, it's not with me at the centre, it's not with you at the centre. It's a story with our Father in heaven at the center. And as we get caught up in that and grow to value it, we will certainly not want to treat it casually. As we get more aligned with that story, we'll begin to see our prayers powerfully answered. And perhaps most wonderful, all, we shall learn to trust our Father in good times and bad times, and thereby truly experience his most precious love. Let's indulge together in the wonderful privilege of prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Our Heavenly Father, to pray first, especially for those who are here tonight feeling discouraged or disappointed in their Christian lives, perhaps even verging on cynicism. And I know in a gathering of this size, there are bound to be, almost certainly will be some of us here at the edge of the abyss. Just want to pray for your mercy upon those People here tonight, that they might be inspired by the greatest story that they can be a part of through the work and death and, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of their sins, as he draws them into His servant work amongst all the world, taking light out into the nations, that that grand picture would captivate their hearts and draw them close to you. And for all of us here tonight. May we hear verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, says Jesus, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Father, help us to believe it and help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.